Hi, Dean. Hi, Heidi. Hey, Lee. Hey, Jess. Hi, Kathy. It's weird being one-sided, just me and the conversation. Hi, wife. Hi, Matthew. I'm here at the church because my internet at my house was so slow and I got to the church, it wasn't much better. Hi, Carla. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Hannah. We're praying for you. Josh. I'll get started here in a couple minutes as folks log on. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Roger. Good morning, Hillary and Maynard. Hi, Carla. It's weird being the only person in the church building. You feel like you're talking to yourself. Hi, Ethan. Hey, so while uh, folks are getting on here, just let you know about our Easter plans here. We have an epic Easter scheduled for you. We have a helicopter coming, dropping Easter eggs. Uh, we're going to have a carnival for the kids. You name it. We're all set here for Easter, and we can't wait. Um, of course, I'm just kidding. It's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be scripture. It's going to be rejoicing in the resurrection. Uh, it's going to be... Um, everything that it needs to be uh, here in these particular situations. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Andy. Good to see you guys. So I'm going to um, speak to you guys this morning about a new kind of king, a different kind of king, um, from John chapter 12, um, verse 12 through 26. Hi, Shaney. And uh, so you guys can get your Bibles, and you can um, be turning to John 12, uh, really, actually, John 12, 12 through 19, but we'll look at the end of that chapter here in a few minutes. Hi, Dwayne and Carolyn. Good to see you guys. Glad you guys can join us uh, here. Um, I hope the Internet here at the church works. Its Internet has been really sloggy here lately, so we'll, we'll do our best. Um, so John chapter 12, grab your coffee. Hey, if you're still in your pajamas, I'm not going to judge you. Uh, here, um, I got a shirt on that you can see, but um, uh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I'm fully dressed here at the church, so don't worry. Um, hi, Olivia. So John chapter 12 is where we're going to be. And by the way, parents, don't forget um, that um, after this, or unless you've already done it, or maybe maybe a time a little bit later on today, go ahead and um, work through. Um, that little lesson I sent you, adapt it to your own kids, to your own needs, 
there, maybe some of you more creative uh, people and moms uh, and perhaps dads, if you've got an artistic flair here, can help your kids with some crafts. Uh, definitely, though, make it interactive here as you work through um, that story there for the kids. And um, I think uh, I think it'll be helpful, probably be even more helpful after you listen to what we go through here as we talk through John chapter 12. This is Palm Sunday. And um, honestly, I don't know that I've ever spent... Um, a special um, time on Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. I've worked through other things on Palm Sunday, but um, we're going to be in John chapter 12. So if you turn in your Bibles there, and um, we'll be in John 12, 12 through 19. I'll give you a little background for it, but I'll go ahead and start uh, now. Hi, Jocelyn and Jason, Sarah Lynn. Good to see you guys. John 12. Have your coffee in hand if you want. I think that's great. So on December 4th, 1977, in the capital of the Central African Empire, the world press witnessed the coronation of His Imperial Majesty Bokasa I. The price tag for that particular event was designed and choreographed by a French designer, Olivier Bryce, was $25 million dollars. At 10.10 a.m. on December 4th, 1977, that morning, there was a blare of trumpets and then a roll of drums that announced the approach of His Majesty in the Central African Empire. The procession began with eight of Bocasta's 29 official children parading down the royal carpet to their seats. They were followed by Jean Bedel Bocasta II, the heir to the throne dressed in a white admiral's uniform with a gold braid. He was seated on a red pillow to the left of the throne. Catherine, Bocasa's favorite wife, followed. She was one of nine of his wives. She was wearing a 73,000 gown in 1977, made in Paris, strewn with pearls that she had picked out herself. The emperor arrived in a gold eagle imperial coach drawn by six Anglo-Norman horses. He wore a 32-pound robe decorated with 785,000 strewn pearls and gold embroidery. On his brow, he wore a gold crown of laurel wreaths like those in the Roman Empire would wear, a symbol of the favor of the gods. As his sacred march came to a conclusion, Bocasa seated himself in his $2.5 million eagle throne, took his laurel wreath off, and like Napoleon 173 years before did, took his, uh, took his crown, $2.5 million crown, topped with an 80-carat diamond, and he put it on his son's head. But his reign was not as impressive as that particular coronation day. Just two years later, Bokasa was out of the country. The French government engineered a successful coup, and his reign was over with. And we look at that kind of ridiculousness of a man so puffed up with pride, and we forget that that's how the human heart is wired. We're wired to self-exalt ourselves. But I want to take you to a new kind of a king. In John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John is writing this letter from Ephesus. He's writing to a Greek and a Roman world. 
about God in the flesh as Jesus of Nazareth, who had come into the world to provide salvation. John had served at the church in Ephesus there, modern day Turkey, and he is writing this from Ephesus, and he is shepherding a network of churches. And he writes this book of John after he has written his letters at the end of your New Testament, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, to show the grounds of the gospel story and the, and the, uh, the beginnings of, of the church. You think of what he wrote in John 13 through 17 of how Jesus' disciples were to be and how to live. And he grounds us in the eternal Son of God and God's purposes to give new life to all the world who will believe. And so this particular passage in John chapter 12, the context here is what has previously happened in John 11 is the last of Jesus' seven signs that John has specifically structured the book around. The last of them is one of the greatest, uh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And now it is the Passover feast. And so there is great fame of Jesus as he has done this impressive miracle, as he has raised the dead to life. One they all knew was dead and was starting to smell. And then they saw come to life again and walk out of that tomb, Lazarus. And news had spread and there was a a fever pitch. And it was the time of year for Israel that it was now the Passover feast. And uh, if you were an Israelite, you were commanded to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem already had a population of about 100,000 people. And it swelled when these pilgrimages would come. 32 times Jesus had made this pilgrimage as a faithful Israelite. And as they would walk up, they would sing psalms called Psalms of Ascents because Jerusalem was at a higher altitude. And no matter where you were pretty much in Israel, you were ascending to Jerusalem because of its higher altitude. Then they would sing the Hallel Psalms. That were Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. And so we have a few scenes in John 12, verses 12 through 19. And let me read a few verses here. Jump back up to verse 10 in chapter 12, because the scripture um, helps us see that there was a plan going on for uh, the religious leaders to execute Jesus because of what he had done to Lazarus and his popularity. John 12, verse 9, many people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they may put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, so this is right after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. On the next day, many people that were come to the feast, the feast of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees was talking to someone yesterday and saying if it was Maine, they would have probably gathered up a bunch of, of, of pine branches here. They, they gathered what they had, date palms. And there were um, rows of date palms that lined the road on the way to Jerusalem. And they broke some of those uh, fronds off. And verse 13 says, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. That comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, that's, that's save now in Hebrew. And it's taken right from 
Um, Psalm 118, that psalm that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It was, it was the last psalm that they would quote on that ascent to Jerusalem. And so they're about to enter Jerusalem. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And the word of God says they're gathered around. They're taking branches of palm trees and they're on this last psalm. And it says, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. They're recognizing something about Jesus. And you can imagine how they might be feeling. They had seen just the day before Lazarus raised from the dead. And they were wondering, what are the limits of this man's power? Are there any? He's raised him from the dead. And really what they were doing there with the palm branches and the accolades there to this one who they're seeing as their deliverer, from the oppressors is what they had done to Judas Maccabees uh, 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 quite, a, quite a bit before. If you don't know the story of Judas, Judas Maccabees, that's, that's what the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah is built around. And basically the Greeks had um, taken over uh, Israel and um, Judas Maccabees led a, a, uh, a revolution against the Greeks and beat them back and uh, freed uh, Israel from the oppressors. And so when he had done that, the same thing had happened when Judas Maccabees entered Jerusalem as the victor. Um, they had lined the road with, with palm branches and they had quoted Psalm 118. They, they saw him as their deliverer, as their Messiah, their rescuer, savior, savior. And here they, they have a, they have a new one. Jesus, this one who had raised him from the dead. So he seems to have superior powers to even Judas Maccabees and he's, providing deliverance from the oppressors they think if he can raise Lazarus from the dead what 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 else couldn't he do but i want you to see scene 2 look what it says in verse 14 and jesus so that's the crowd's response to jesus and jesus is not turning down their worship but jesus is going to spin it Jesus is going to frame it in the way that it needs to be framed. He's going to put it in proper perspective. Now think of the temptation that that um, uh, you might have had here with accolades here. If you're the deliverer, you're the one who's going to rescue the country. And think of the opportunities. Perhaps you might think, oh, well, okay, well, let's. Let's take advantage of this. Let's let's let, let's do what we need to do here. Let's let's see see something happen out of this. But Jesus, verse fourteen says, and Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written. Jesus has a different perspective on this. Jesus knows that he is the true King, but Jesus has a different agenda. And Jesus could have taken that opportunity and he could have had his disciples go and say, go find me a war horse. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus asks his disciples, and this, by the way, the story is in all four of the Gospels. Jesus has his disciples find not just a donkey, but he has them find a colt, a young donkey. I don't know if you've ever ridden a donkey. They're not that high off of the ground. And he wants them to find a young donkey. So this would have been a smaller donkey. His feet may have been dragging on the ground. This would have seemed probably ridiculous. 
This is not what a war hero, the one who comes into town to rescue from oppressors, this is not what you would stereotypically think he would be riding on. He could have had the war horse, but he chooses to ride the donkey. This is significant. He's taking the opportunity here to be acknowledged as the right and proper king, but he wants them to understand this. And here is the key point. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not the world's king in the way they think he is. He is a different kind of king. Now look what the rest of the text says. He took the donkey. He found it. He sat on it. As it is written. So John includes, as he's writing from Ephesus, he's writing to a Greek-Roman world. He connects this to the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And he quotes from Zechariah. And John's comments are this. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is from Zechariah 9.9, and I'm going to... Flip over there. Um, probably a little bit harder to find in your in your Bibles here, but it's uh, it's a passage here that's talking about um, the Messiah when he comes in the millennium, when he comes and makes uh, sets the earth at, at, at rights, and he he reigns from Jerusalem. And Zechariah chapter nine and verse eight talks about how he will free the Israelites from their oppressors. And John applies this scripture here to Jesus. And I want you to see what's written in these verses. John 9, or Zechariah, excuse me, 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt. The full of a donkey. And he talks about what he's going to do. He's going to destroy enemies. He's going to speak peace to the, to the Gentiles. His dominion will be from sea, even to sea. Zechariah 9, 10, and from the river, even the ends of the earth. And then he says this, As for you also, the Israelites he's writing to, by the blood of your covenant, I have sent forth your prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope, even today do I declare that I will render double to you. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you as a sword of a mighty man. He says, I'm going I'm to make things right. I'm going to take care of your enemies. But John doesn't include those verses there. That's going to happen in the future. John quotes from Zechariah 9.9, and that's it. To emphasize the humility of this Savior. And Jesus doesn't deny their worship. But Jesus clarifies what kind of Messiah he is. But I want you to go back to John chapter 12. And look at John's comments in verse 16 again. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, his resurrection and ascension, and he sent the Spirit to him, and he told them he would send his Spirit, and the Spirit would remind them of all things he had taught them. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. 
The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bore record. John here is saying there was something significant that was going on in that day. Yes, the crowds were receiving him. They were lauding him as their Messiah. But what they needed to understand was something bigger than that. That Jesus was a different kind of king. And it would click in the disciples' heads later on what was going on in the scriptures that this was connecting to later on. Here's the thing. Here's what's going on here in this passage. For the rest of the revelation of Scripture and the fullness of God's counsel, what we understand is that Jesus is deliberately choosing the proper path before the crown. The Scriptures say in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is not this passage here such a vivid illustration of that, the mind that was in Christ Jesus? He had the chance to go on the war horse, and he chooses the donkey. What kind of mind? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and, as will happen later on in this holy week, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul adds this on this great example and power we have to exercise humility to one another. Paul adds this after that. Wherefore, on the basis of this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, respect, reverence, and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see what's happening here? The disciples needed to connect what was going on that day with what Scripture said. That this was a different kind of king. And then they needed to follow that king. So go back to John 12 and see where this is going. See what Jesus is teaching from this. And verse 18, For this cause the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees... The religious leaders are going to have a different response to this. Therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye or discern, do you discern how ye prevail nothing, how all our plans to put him to death are, are, it's not happening. It's like this guy is going to, uh, on his own timeline here, and we don't like it, Pharisees are saying. And prophetically, and ironically they say, Behold, the world has gone after him. John includes that to this Greek and Roman world he's writing to, to let him know he's the savior of the world. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, non-Jews. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, wanted to ask him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Illustration of what the Pharisees were saying. 
Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying this, and here's what I want you guys to see here. Here is the import of who Jesus is as a different kind of king for his followers, for his disciples. This is so key. He says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified, should be lifted up. So here was the opportunity to ride the war horse into Jerusalem. But he doesn't choose to do that. He chooses to ride the donkey because he knows his hour to be truly glorified and honored, not by men, but by his father, is still coming. And it must go through the path of the cross. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a corn of wheat, a seed, falls into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Hear this. This is a different kind of king. So this means we are a different kind of a follower than the world's followers. He that loves his life and gets up on the war horse instead of the donkey. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates, disregards his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also there shall also my servant be. In other words, if Jesus is a different kind of king, there's going to be his servants right behind him following the same path. Not getting on the war horse in self-exaltation and glory, but getting on the donkey. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. There's the true glory. There's a real exaltation rather than self-exaltation. This is what this is all about. Jesus is choosing the proper path that precedes the crown. He is going to the cross on his own terms, not the Pharisees, though they want to kill him. He's going on his own terms, and, 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 and he will march to the cross, and he will voluntarily lay hand himself over. He will willingly give up his life. And I want to ask you, if we see this with our Savior the humble king who chooses not the warhorse but the donkey. What are you riding with Jesus? His followers are to be right behind him. We see in that those verses there I just read in John. Are you riding the horse or the donkey? Sometimes we look at God and his power like those Israelites did and we say, wow, look what you could do. You raise Lazarus. Make my life better. If you would only do this, then my life would be better. And God says, no, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. You see, we always want to take the uh, the, the get rich quick scheme, the short view here. And, and, and that always fails. And friends, God always takes the long view. Jesus could have marched in with the crown. He could have marched into Jerusalem with a war horse. And he chose to take the long view because that was the greatest reward. He chose to go to the cross. God's 
patient, humble, plotting, and his son through surrender to suffering is God's plan, was God's plan for the son, and it is God's plan for us. And that does not produce cheap imitations. That produces, as we saw in Peter, solid, pure, heavy gold. If the seed dies in the ground and bears much fruit, but it's the Son of God, so will his followers. It's a call to the disciple as well. You see, one day, all nations will be coming to him in peace. We look forward to that day in his return as he's high and lifted up and reigns in Jerusalem. But in the meantime, he calls his disciples, his followers, you and I, who know the Lord, He calls us to ride the donkey, not the horse. To come in humility to Him and not see Him as your co-captain to help your kingdom, but as your King who has come and you have come to His kingdom through His shameful cross outside the camp. You see, it's a few days later that he is betrayed. He is put in a mock trial. He is beaten. He is spit upon. He is scorned. He is abandoned by his closest disciples. And he is pinned to a Roman cross. And he chose to ride the donkey. And he chose to ride that figurative donkey all the way to the cross. And because he chose to ride the donkey, his father raised him up by the spirit from the dead and highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, Lord of all. And he will return one day on a war horse. He will return one day on that white war horse to judge the earth and rule. And every knee will bow and confess that he is indeed Lord of all. And so you and I have a choice every day. Will you ride the donkey as our king did? Or will you exalt yourself and ride the horse? It's tempting to put yourself on the big white horse and lift yourself up. But the call that Jesus gives is to come and die. To turn your life over to Him. To choose the donkey. To, as the Scripture says, and Jesus says to those who would come after Him, who would follow Him, He says, to deny yourself and follow Christ to live to righteousness. Less of me and more of Him. He must increase And I must decrease. And friends, this is only possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem that day on the white horse, though he will one day, because Jesus needed to go through the path of the cross to be resurrected and exalted. Why did Jesus need to go to the path of the cross? Well, here's the truth. God has always intended to have fellowship with humanity. He has made us in his his image to have relationship with him. But man has chosen to go his own way. Man has chosen to turn away from God's purpose and plan and find life in himself, which is impossible. Because we're finite beings and we're corrupt. And it always spirals downward. It destroys us. And the Bible calls that sin. 
And it is our biggest obstacle in our lives. And we try to find answers to our sin and answers to our guilt and shame in all kinds of different ways that are the wrong ways and can never do anything but just put masking tape over it. It doesn't take it away. And that cancer is in us and it's in our souls. But God loved us so much that even while we hear his enemies wanting to turn away from him and go our own way, God sent this son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh to live perfectly where we have failed and to go in innocence to the cross and be the Lamb of God who is slain for our sins for going our own way. To be the Lamb of God who sheds His blood because of the deep-seated rebellion in our hearts. And the Scripture says when we believe that Jesus Christ and we trust and we rest alone that He has died for our sins and we ask Him to, uh, to give us eternal life, abundant life, life with Him forever. The Bible says He saves us from the penalty of our sins. Because after Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. And he lives forever. He is victorious. He is the one now who can sit on the white horse. He is the one now who will return. And he will come and return and judge the earth. But he has given us a, the way to come back to God. And it's through his work, not ours. And so friends, what horse do you need to get off? What is the sin that the Holy Spirit is pointing to in your own heart? And what do you need to switch out for the cult? What do you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to take away and to give you new life through the cross? Where's the pride that needs to be exchanged for the humility of the Savior? Friends, that only comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. He is indeed Lord of all, but he's a different kind of king. I want to challenge you to reflect on that um, today as we remember Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and um, work on that uh, lesson with your kids as you get opportunity, and um, perhaps go out while you can enjoy the, the fresh air and the weather here um, before the rain comes and, uh, and uh, rejoice in the Lord's goodness. Um, this Friday, Good Friday, originally we were planning to have a Good Friday service with Appleton Baptist Church joining us, and obviously the restrictions will limit that, but we are going to still have that. Um, Pastor Colin McGee from Appleton Baptist Church and I will have a joint live stream message uh, here on Facebook again, and uh, we're going to uh, share some of the sayings from the cross um, with the centurion. And uh, Jesus' forgiveness, and I encourage you to uh, to tune into that this Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, it'll be uh, shared from our our public page here, and then I'm sure he's going to share it from his uh, church's page. And so tune in this Friday at 6 p.m. with Pastor Colin McGee from Appleton Baptist, and uh, we'll do a joint live stream uh, there. I also just want to encourage you in the Lord, um, be thinking of ways that you can connect with others um, because you have more time perhaps now, and you also have the technology to do it. Um, we will again this Wednesday have a Zoom prayer meeting. Um, I'll share more information with that uh, out through email um, and text, but you can also contact me and I'll get the, and I can give you the information set up as well. 
um, on your computer. It's it's easy. Uh, Dwayne Rowell's doing a great job with it. One of our oldest members, and uh, he's he's chiming in and and joining us. And it's so great to see faces and video, and be able to uh, to pray with you guys and share and pray uh, there. So we'll do that this Wednesday at seven again. Teens, you have been connecting with uh, Ethan and uh, Birch at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays through Zoom. And I know you've been playing games and checking in and connecting and hearing um, challenges from the Word of God as well. So appreciate all those working on that. Um, so see us again uh, this this Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, live stream right here from this particular page. And then we'll uh, we'll look forward to this Easter Sunday. It'll be probably the strangest Easter you've ever experienced. But it does not change any of the truths of Easter. In fact, all this isolation and limitations make the truths of who Jesus is even more glorious. That he will never leave us and forsake us because of his resurrection. Thanks for joining us here today, guys. God bless you.